Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Fly fishing for tarpon might be the most egregious example of fishing excess on the planet. So I don't know if you guys know the science behind a maxi pad. Rocking to the top too quickly can be dangerous. Just ask the Greek dude with the wax wings or the kids in crisscross. But once you figure all that out, then you can just sit back with a beer. Good morning, degenerate anglers. Welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that will not judge you for eating two of the three sandwiches you packed for lunch before 8 a.m. I'm Joe Cermelli. <laughs> I'm Miles Nolte, and yeah, why does that happen? Like, why are you always starving at 5 a.m. on a fishing trip? Like clockwork, dude, people are like, why it you got three sandwiches? And I'm like, because I'm going to eat two of them before we break the inlet. <laughs> it always happens. Yep. And I mean, I also think that disgustingly delicious road snacks are a mandatory thing to bring oh. on any good fishing trip. Let's Absolutely. just got to have them. Absolutely. I personally am a 7-Eleven uh, go-go taquito kind of guy. I, mm, is that how that's like, pronounced? It's like Takato. T- t- I always I say Takato. Give me two Takatos, the Philly cheesesteak one. And they're rolling <laughs> right next to the hot dog on the spinny thing there. So they get infused uh-huh. with some of that wiener essence, you know? And I also, you know what else I love is bacon jerky, which is stupid mm, because it's, yeah. it's just a bag of bacon. There's really no jerky, you know? But how about yep. you? What, what, what do you? What do you grab? Oh man, I am I am drawn to that greasy hot case, like a, a mm. moth to a myocardial infarction <laughs> flame, dude. <laughs> Ugh. And and for as much as I love a, a jalapeno corn dog that's been roasted lovingly under a mm. heat lamp for 36 hours, I'm not willing to compromise when it comes to coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, all right, okay, I <laughs> I am willing to compromise if I have to. Like, if I don't have other options, I will swig down some thin bitter brew just for the caffeine, but I won't enjoy it. Well, thankfully, Miles, you don't have to, because as a reminder, this podcast is, in fact, entirely fueled by Black Rifle Coffee, and they have you covered no matter what your coffee needs. Whether you're indulging in a nice, bougie pour-over on a lazy Sunday morning or mixing up a quick dose of the instant before sprinting out the door on a Tuesday, Black Rifle will keep you flush with brew that's not only caffeinated but very tasty. That is accurate. And with their coffee club, you can just sign up for what you want, and they'll make sure you never run out. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash meat eater to scratch your every last Java itch today. Use the code meat eater at checkout and they'll even take 20% off your order. Did you say Java itch? <laughs> that's that's some shit that might require a Lotrimin, dude. Did you add, yes. did you really write that thinking that will help us sell coffee, man? Come on. It's a play on a common <laughs> idiom. All right. You're the only one thinking about down south rash false the rest of us are yeah no the rest most of us most people don't have their head there we're just kicking back enjoying our delicious coffee and we do not appreciate your filthy interjections anyway <laughs> that's uh it's probably enough of that we're supposedly here to talk about fishing but i'm looking at the set list here in front of me and uh 
It actually seems like we're going to stick with fungal infections, metaphorically speaking, at least for the next few minutes, because we are leading off this week's show with my least favorite segment of all time. Fungal infections. That was well put. That's yeah. I like that. Uh, yeah. But Miles is right. He's back, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Lance V. And look, okay, uh, we know that he can be kind of grating. All right? Mm-hmm. We get it. We, we know that Lance is not what anyone imagines when they... I don't know, say say gaze into the face of their newborn child and picture a successful, <laughs> prosperous, and productive future. Uh, but look, he is a reality, like it or not. Internet culture is alive and well, and phishing is not immune. And in fact, as listener Mike Mancini put it, this is a quote now, I am humbly requesting that you keep Lance V. I hate that guy. He's the absolute <laughs> worst. And he's the perfect embodiment of what y'all are not I love, in all caps, to hate, in all caps, that guy, and he needs to stay. Mike, this trolling with Lance is for you, buddy. To the land, to the boat, to the lake, to the sea, f***ing up the internet with your boy, Lance What's happening, qualified captains? It's your favorite internet fishing guru, Lance V, here to aid you in continuing education about killing it as an online angler. This week, we have a deep question from Josh Y, who writes, Guys, come on. This Lance V guy is a freaking chucklehead, but if he had to pick just one Instagram filter, what would it be? I have to be honest, Josh, I didn't want to answer this question. In my opinion, this information is so powerful that it can shave years off your pursuit of internet greatness and rocketing to the top too quickly can be dangerous. Just ask the Greek dude with the wax wings or the kids in crisscross who spent decades in therapy to overcome their desire to wear their pants backwards. Hashtag Daddy Mac. But I decided to go for it, so brace yourselves. The answer is Hefe. Listen, I know that was a lot to take in. Many of you are probably in shock right now. Don't torture yourself for all the mediocre fish photos you posted using Ludwig or Perpetua. Those wasted opportunities to grow your social media presence. You didn't know. You were so sure using Nashville on that tight shot of a Bass Pro brand crankbait would take your posts from worthless to art. That your 10 followers would say, my God, it's breathtaking. You were absolutely positive the slightly washed out look of Lark was perfect for another sunrise over the Pay Lake photo. And you were so wrong. But I'm here to tell you it's okay. We all make mistakes. Hashtag heal with me. Hefe is the answer. It's always been the answer, and you need not understand why. The details come with similar consequences to figuring out who killed JFK or whether Vanilla Ice knowingly sampled that Queen song in Ice Ice Baby. Listen, I've already told you too much, and I fear divulging further information about the powers of Hefe could lead to issues regarding my personal safety, or worse, a loss of sponsorship opportunities with hashtag Knights of Columbus. Josh, you're welcome, but I want to make it clear I take no responsibility for how you or anyone else uses this information. Hashtag risk factor. Hmm. Lance actually gave me something to think about this time. He, like... He really found a soulful place this week. I feel like we discovered some some hidden wellspring of depth that none of us maybe, ever knew existed in, in in young Lance. There, it's it's almost like it's almost like we're trying to hint at a more interesting and significant character so we can disappoint everyone for our own amusement in a subsequent episode. Or, or maybe Lance will surprise all of us with his development over time. <laughs> It's like a slow process. You'll just, you'll just have to keep tuning in to see what happens, because as long as you guys keep sending questions to bentatthemediator.com for Lance, we'll keep passing them on to him, and he'll keep answering them uh, a week or two after his deadline passes. Mm-hmm. That's how he rolls. Yep, yep. And uh, while I have been begrudgingly forced into recognizing the power and influence of 21st century media, I have not given up on what I will always consider the nucleus of fishing culture. That is to say, skillful and well-crafted writing. Yeah, real writing, as in words on printed paper, things we used to do in former lives, you and I both. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every so often, we bring you our book recommendations, and this week, Miles is reviewing a brand spanking new title penned by one of our favorite authors, who also happens to be a buddy of ours as well. It's time for frickin' Philistines. What's a Philistine? It's a guy who doesn't care about books or interesting films and things. 
From a purely logical standpoint, sport fishing is stupid. Pointless. We all know it. Even those of us who eat our catch occasionally or often will admit that's not the reason we fish. Fresh flesh is, at best, a bonus. At worst, a justification. Fishing for sport is arguably hedonistic, cruel, narcissistic, selfish, sadistic, and foolish. It can also be miserable, boring, excruciating, interminable, and obnoxious. But hot damn, when it's good, it's so good. I'm going to assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you know exactly what I mean. Because fishing attracts obsessives. It's a spectrum, of course, but every serious angler I've ever known skews toward compulsion. Monty Burke is obsessed with obsessives. He's built a career writing about them, and his latest book, Lords of the Fly, Madness, Obsession, and the Hunt for the World Record Tarpon, continues the trend. This book profiles the rarefied subculture of individuals who have spent some, or in certain cases, the vast majority of their lives trying to catch record tarpon. If there are any heroes in the story, however, they don't carry fishing rods or IGFA certificates. The conquesting anglers are portrayed as what I would assume them to be, wealthy, entitled jerk-offs who don't respect the fish, the place, or each other. The ruthless guides who take those anglers fishing generally come off as arrogant, unscrupulous, and bitter. Just about every character in this book strikes me as a deeply flawed human. If there's a hero in this story, it's a tragic one. The vanquished utopia that was the Homosassa, Florida tarpon fishery of the 1970s and 80s. Burke describes it almost as if it were the garden, and the anglers who indulged in its fruits the men who precipitated the fall. He writes, The stories from On the Water were stupendous, almost too hard to believe, but also in aggregate too hard to ignore. On the Oklahoma flat one day, Perez held the boat steady for Robinson as fish came at the boat from every direction. The tarpon began to form a daisy chain. And we were somehow in the center of it, says Robinson. It was 30 feet wide and 15 feet deep with fish. From the top of the water to the ocean floor, you could see flashes. It was solid tarpon. Chittam and Lopez arrived one morning at the Black Rock and had it to themselves. Hold on, Chittam said. Just take your time. There's more fish here than I can count. Chittam and Lopez, too, were in the middle of a daisy chain. It turned out one comprised of some 2,000 fish. Lopez hooked five fish in under two hours. Over the next 10 days, he jumped more than 200 fish. He got 61 of those to the boat. It wasn't just the numbers of fish, though. There were stories every day of massive fish seen but not hooked or hooked but not landed, fish well over 200 pounds. Everyone had a story. And those stories of the monsters never to be caught but only seen or hooked only to be lost, they were told with more relish, more vigor, and more feeling than the stories of the fish that were caught, even the ones that became world records. It makes sense. In angling, as in life, it is the ones that get away that haunt our dreams, that push us over the brink into a lustful madness. And Homosassa was the first place in these anglers' lives where, hot damn, those dreams just might come true. The book's narrative wends its way through a dozen different characters. All the famous names of saltwater fly fishing appear. Apt, Cray, Pallet, Huff. Records are created, then shattered along with new line glasses, new tackle, new boats. The fishing world descends upon this place where the tarpon are huge and plentiful. They take what they can as quickly as they can, and the place is left diminished. Some might say decimated. And we absorb it all through Burke's deft and tactful voice. He remains a journalist in the best sense of that word, presenting the people, fish, and events as factually as he can, except when he doesn't diving into engrossing interludes and anecdotes that skillfully tip his hand as an obsessed angler himself, one who, like most everyone reading, missed the party and knows that any sense of moral superiority he might feel only comes from the fact that he wasn't lucky enough to be among the offenders. One of the aspects that makes this book so compelling is that honesty. Outside the billfish tournament scene, fly fishing for tarpon might be the most egregious example of fishing excess on the planet. No one in this country eats tarpon. 
Fly tackle is probably the least effective method of catching one, and a good guide charges 800 bucks a day. And the most stupid, pointless, and obsessive offshoot of tarpon fly fishing culture is record chasing. People spend entire lives and fortunes trying to catch one fish whose gravitational pull can be measured as slightly greater than another. They don't care about any other fish they might catch. They don't even enjoy the experience of catching a record. The fish don't actually matter. They just represent challenge, measurable benchmarks of validation. Lords of the Fly does not shy away from any of that. In fact, its power lies in recognizing that while this form of fishing might seem reprehensible, it's really just the inherent nature of sport fishing pushed to its furthest and perhaps ugliest extreme. So I have a confession, man. I, I have not read Lords of the Fly yet, but not because I'm uninterested. That It sounds thoroughly enjoyable. It's good. Uh, it's I, good I haven't read it because you have been promising to send me your copy for uh, over two weeks now. I mean, uh, I know yeah. like the mail's slow, right? I get it, but it ain't that slow. So until that happens, I'll just have to sit here and reread Monty's Sal Belly again. Yeah. All right. Look, it's the book is sitting on my desk. It's, it's, <laughs> it's right here. I'm looking at it right now. I bet it looks uh, good. Along, it is. It is. And, and along, it's, it's actually sitting stacked up with another book that I've been promising to mail to you for, <laughs> oh, eight months? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Nine? It's all the same. And that's all on me. But look. Uh, I have always hated going to the post office. It's never been a chore that I relished or enjoyed or, or did with any sort of zeal. But the thought of standing in an hour-long serpentine line in the middle yeah. of winter during yeah. a massive spike in COVID <laughs> cases, has uh, it's, it's really depressed the old motivation, you might say. No, I get that. I understand. I hate the post office, too, uh, especially during COVID. But what I also hear you saying is I can expect those books to arrive, what, post-vaccine? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I'll put them on on the list of all the other shit I can look forward to when the day finally comes. Seeing family, traveling, drinking in places other than my basement with people <laughs> other than my wife. Going fishing with a whole group of buddies instead of a select few that you assume are being careful. So great. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're welcome. <laughs> that is sadly true. But uh, while some aspects of our lives feel suspended, like dinosaur DNA trapped in amber for millions of years... We press on. I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. You know, I actually have a shirt with a snakehead skull on the front drawn like the Jurassic Park logo that says life finds a way on the back. Really? Yeah. It's it's one of my favorite t-shirts. Shout out to Geek on the Water for giving me that. Anyway, one thing that is certainly pressed on this year is news, but we don't bring you the same horrible divisive news you might find elsewhere. Here at Bent, we bring you something that just about all of us can come together on Except me and Miles, of course, who are trying to vanquish each other. It's time for Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. Before we, we hit Fish News, uh, a little housekeeping. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm apologizing to everyone out there, but I, I, I just I have to say this. F- 2020. Seriously. <laughs> Enough. Just stop. I'm done. All right, and 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 I will explain what I'm talking about. It's nothing political. It's nothing you might expect. It's all the things you know, but there's more. So, first of all, you may you hopefully didn't notice this, but when we were in the middle of recording fish news last week, this happened. Hey, dude, I'm sorry. We got to pause. Something crazy just happened in my house, and I got to go check it out. Something. Okay. I, I'm sorry. So what the hell was that? (laughs) Well, that was the sound of my elderly neighbor mixing up the gas and brake pedals and driving her Subaru into the front of my house. This is this really happened. This 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 happened last week, people. I I, so uh, when we record this, like we're on the computer, so Miles and I can see each other. And and the part that I'll add is, I couldn't hear it on my end. But you were just like, something crazy just happened. But then you left and you didn't turn off your computer. So the last thing I saw was you standing in your hallway, yelling at your wife, going, are you kidding me? And I was like, ooh, I should probably (laughs) leave the session. It's like, I 
Yeah, last that thing happened. I saw <laughs> that happened. So, but all right, good news on that. No one was hurt. Yes. All right, nobody got hurt. the The neighbor, who's a very nice woman, she was not hurt. None of us were hurt. Everybody was fine. That that's the really good news. The other good news is that, man, I have incredible friends. By the time that the tow truck had extracted the car from my home, <laughs> two of my people, one a structural engineer and the other a contractor, had dropped everything they were in the middle of, like the middle of their workday, to come over and assess the like the structural integrity of my house and put up a temporary support wall so the whole thing didn't fall down. <laughs> and just to paint a clearer picture, what do I hear banging? Yeah, I'm sorry. The, the my buddy's building the okay, okay. shoring I up wall in our I house. I thought it was like my kid. That's fine. We're good. So the house is still standing but it's going to be some months before it's back to normal again around here. You can check out our Instagram pages to see photos of the carnage and, and the car in my house. It's at water miles and at Joe Cermelli. but wait, there's more oh. that same day. A friend of mine, uh, a signature Umqua fly designer, fishing guide, generally good human. Andrew Grillos suffered a massive stroke, which is, I mean, it's terrible, but it's yeah. also hard to imagine because we're talking we're talking about a guy who does ultra marathons for fun. Yeah, like, this is not Healthy the kind dude. of person you're going to expect this to happen to, right? Yeah. And and look, he's in for a long haul. He's in for a lot of medical bills with his family. And and listen, we've said it before. We're going to say it again. We anglers, we look out for our own. So I'm asking everybody out there who has the ability to help, if you can, uh, get on Instagram, look up the hashtag flies for Andrew, and 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 bid on something. If, if you're able to, there's all kinds of amazing stuff up for grabs from fishing gear to custom art to, to guide trips. My buddy, Nick English is actually auctioning off info, like Intel on his secret high Alpine trout lakes that he's spent no years way. finding. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of good people are chipping in to help out. And, and if you're able to, I, I, I just ask that you please do. So like I said, 2020 has been a nonstop dumpster fire for, for lots of us, but on the bright side, you know, I got to say, man, it's really shown me that we are able to come together and, and look out for each other when we have to. And, and that's that's worth something, you know, yeah. that's valuable. Yeah. And, and and no matter no matter how much I think we all feel the uh, f- you 2020 vibe, if nothing else, one way or the other, it's almost over. Like almost we're, over. We're, we're getting there. Yeah. You know what what it, what it looks like when it passes. We don't know. But, um, you know. Just based on the calendar alone, like we're we're almost at we're, <laughs> we're almost have, out of the woods. We're going to see a change. We're almost out of the woods. Anyway, housekeeping complete. Let's move on to the news uh, you can use in the fish world. Reminder that this is a competition. Miles and I do not know what stories the other guys bring to the table. And at the end of this session, our magical audio engineer Phil will declare a news winner. I believe it is my week to lead off. Is that correct? It is. It is indeed. Okay. All right, great. So let's let's lead off with, with this one, um, which is kind of silly, but I just couldn't leave it alone. Uh, so as if ER doctors uh, don't see enough action in this time of COVID, an ER in Egypt got put on notice when a man stumbled in <sighs> gasping for breath because, as it turned out, he had a live fish stuck in his throat. You saw this story, didn't you? I, I did see the story, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, all right. I'm not so trying then... to step on your thunder, but as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, I know where he's going. <laughs> it's a very me kind of story. It, come, it comes to us from TMZ, which is the news equivalent of the Urban Dictionary, <laughs> but still, uh, from the story. And, and when I say from the story, this is literally written like text messages. Like that's yeah. the kind, like that's how their 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 shit is written. So anyway, journalism at its finest, people. Exactly. A guy who went fishing in Egypt got more than he bargained for when his catch for the day tried going down his gullet before he could even fry it up. Dot dot dot, and it almost killed him. <laughs> this this what went, a lead, <laughs> man. <laughs> this went down last week near Benny Swift. Swift, what something about ninety miles south of Cairo. Uh, when this poor fella came stumbling into an ER down there, gasping for breath and unable to speak, he obviously, obviously had something funky in his throat, dash, and that thing, it turned out, was a live fish. Doctors diagnosed the blockage in his windpipe after running him through an x-ray and other tests, and then immediately got to work in extracting the damn thing with some tools. TMZ. Says, did, where it is. Did you watch the video? I did. We'll get to the video in a sec. There is a video. Okay. I, but 
uh, you know, the word is the guy was okay after all, but as for how this happened in the first place, bizarre to say the least. Apparently, this dude caught this tiny fish and put it between his teeth to free up his hands so he could attend to another fish he had on the line. And I'm still quoting here. This little bastard started squirming and broke free from his jaws grasp and went swimming in the dude's mouth. So I, I tried to get a species ID, but I came up short, right? This, this, this hard story didn't say, it, but I, I, I looked, I couldn't, I couldn't find a good cross reference. It's a little silver fish with long red fins, maybe four inches long. And it kind of looks like a tilapia, I think, or some kind of solid brim. Yeah, who knows? They got all kinds of weird shit down there. But as as Miles brought up, there's there's a video. Did you watch the video? I, I chose not to. I, I was like, I don't want I don't need to see that. <laughs> Honestly, man, it was rather anticlimactic. Like it's 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 a really it's just the dude laying there with his mouth wide open and him wincing, and a bunch of doctors who are dressed in like street clothes, like nightclubbing clothes, <laughs> saying suction, suction, suction. Suction, <laughs> suction, and then out it pops. They're just completely, like, completely anticlimactic. But I got to say, as bonehead as that move might be, you know, holding a fish between your teeth, like, I kind of get that, right? Like, I, I, totally. I've swallowed a split shot or two. I was holding yeah. it in my teeth because yeah. both hands were needed to unsnarl a bird's nest. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. Like in, in the heat of the moment while fishing, the mouth can become a third hand. Um, and the only other thing that popped into my head was I, I would rather suffer through almost choking on a live fish having it in my throat than like deal with the when them candiru jobbers swims up the pee hole oh yeah 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 so no that's mm-mm. It was, it's a better outcome than that yeah I, I saw the same one and 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 tmz being a bastion of journalism and, and i just had a feeling you were going to take this one so i was like i'm gonna <laughs> that leave does not that speak one for very joe. highly of me like you're like oh shit joe's it's got joe written <laughs> the, all over it the, the trash <laughs> from tmz thanks i'll be over here at some scientific journal uh, I didn't. I didn't get that sciencey this time. In fact, uh, my first story is is not sciencey at all. But it doesn't involve anybody almost choking on a fish. It does involve some some conflict and some drama around fishing, though. Okay. So there there is a a a, a brouhaha going on in my home state. Okay. Beach anglers and swimmers have been getting into scraps at one of Hawaii's most popular beaches. Ala Moana Beach Park is a, it's like this little oasis right in the middle of the island of Oahu's South Shore. And that's, that's the populated area okay. of the Hawaiian Islands. That's, that's where Honolulu, the capital city is, which is a significant city and, and Waikiki, uh, which is a very popular and very crowded swimming and surfing beach. So fishing at Waikiki Beach has been outlawed for a long time. And if you've ever been there, like that makes perfect sense. Right, it's so crowded there with so many tourists and so many swimmers and surfers, it would be nearly impossible to cast a line without hooking or entangling someone. And uh, you know, tourists don't like that. Sure, no, out. it it makes perfect sense. But I'm just laughing to myself, thinking of like all the ass hats at the Jersey Shore on Fourth of July weekend. Like, dude's still gonna throw a mullet rig, like between <laughs> the the swimming beach, like at the swimming beach. But anyway, go ahead. They're smarter well, in I, Hawaii. I mean, it's just been regulated there, right? And that's that's the thing. Like, they they live on tourism, and they yep. live on that beach. Yep. So they said no. And I have to say, I have seen some tanker bonefish cruising around Waikiki <laughs> Beach, and it's super frustrating because they're just like so arrogant and nonchalant. Yeah. Like you can't touch me, dude. Yeah. What are you gonna yep. do? Yep. But I mean, so that's a little frustrating. But again, it's understandable. I wouldn't want to fish there. That's a bad thing. Uh, and other beaches in that same area have been seeing more and more regulations imposed on fishing because it's a, it's a popular zone. But Ala Moana has always allowed anglers, and it's never really been much of a problem, right? The beach has a, a man-made channel dug in it that parallels the whole length of the beach, so it's deep, it's sandy, it's protected from the surf, and that's right. why it's such a popular spot for swimmers. Right, right. So in the past, fishermen have just avoided that area because – for one, it's crowded, and but more importantly, it's it's rarely been productive, and they focus on uh, on the rocks just to the east in an area called Magic Island. But this year, with COVID, Hawaii's had beach closures and a travel ban and just a general lack of activity uh-huh. in that channel. And so these huge uh-huh. schools of bait fish have moved in, yep, like big ones, yep. And of course, larger predatory fish have followed, and now so have all the anglers. And dude, some of the photos I saw. 
it's just it looks like the whole thing is just devolved into utter chaos it's like so picture combat fishing right and your standard combat I, fishing i know you got, it well yeah you got rods lined up you know four six feet apart maybe the whole length of the beach but then just throw in hordes of swimmers and kayakers and paddleboarders all over the water where they're casting and i guess people have started cutting lines and just like throwing lines out of their way. Fights have broken out. Several swimmers report getting snagged by hooks. Like it's it's ugly. So now the state DNR is trying to come up with a solution. And that means regulations. Either they're going to close the beach to fishing entirely. Or they're going to limit fishing to certain areas. And that looks like, I mean, what that means is that South Shore anglers are going to lose more access. And it's just disappointing, man. It's a very tangled web. Um, yeah. And but look, I mean, I, I don't want to fish there. Like, that's not my scene. I'm not going right. to, that's not the place I'm going to go fishing. You don't but, want to deny somebody else if that's their spot, though. If that's right. what they have in their hometown. That's where exactly. they go. I get and I just, I just wish people could be a little more civil to each other and not need the state to come in and tell them, like, okay, you can fish here, but don't hook the people. Like, I wish there could just be some basic communication and we could figure this out on our own. I realize that that's not how it's going to work, but it's just like part of a general trend. I think we're seeing all over the place and it's, it's disappointing. Like I said, and the irony on this particular one though, is that by next year, this probably isn't going to matter, right? The tourists are going to come back. All the people are going to come back. The bait fish oh, are going to get so. pushed out and the conditions are going to go back to being what they used to be, but the rules and regulations are, are going to be in place then like that, that access is going to be gone. Well, that's but you just said something there, and that's that's kind of like the, the the mental note I'm taking here. So, you know, by next year, the, the pandemic hopefully has gone away, and the big fish will will leave the area again. But if it's as chaotic as you're saying it is now, so I get it, right? It was low traffic throughout the whole pandemic. Big fish move in to cut, eat the bait, and you know there were a handful of dudes who got in on that first, and were like, yeah. "Oh shit! Oh, it's right? happening!" Oh. Yeah. oh. But if it's as nuts as you're saying it is now, dude, I mean, how how good can it still be? I mean, isn't that like the instant angling buzzkill? Like, totally. You got there. For, so, what are they even fighting over? Like, are they still ripping trevallis out of there? Like, you know, ten a day, or is it still as good as it was in the middle of the pandemic? I I, I don't know, well, but I, of, I would guarantee it's not. I was going to say clarification, people. The middle. I, I've spoken of the pandemic as though it has passed. It is still. We're the still middle, there. In the, the, the lockdown. Pandemic. Middle of the lockdown. But I mean, we saw we saw some of that around here in the in the early spring during striper season. Like things were real good, and there weren't that many dudes out. And then as soon as everybody got comfortable, well, then they were out, and those magic bites weren't happening anymore. Yeah, I think I think it's all over, and and that's the thing, right? We're going to end up with a bunch of new rules out of this. And that's just too bad. It just, I, I think it is. I think it's, I think it's a loss. Well, I'll, I'll also say you never want to see access taken away from anglers. I'm totally with that. Um, at the same time, like, you know, I meant what I said, like I see that in the summer with my kids on the beach, you know, it's a crowded beach and I know the guy's really not trying to hurt anybody, but still, man, is it a great idea to, to, to have two circle hooks sitting out there on a, you know, in an area where there's people boogie boarding, like, no. First of all, why would you even want to do that? Like, come back in the evening, get your ass up in the early morning and fish that cut. In the, like, that's when the fishing's good anyway. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I, I, I kind of get that. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. 
You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. But look, if those anglers are struggling now because the crowds are back up and maybe those uh, GTs aren't, aren't aren't running the cut like they were, I might have the solution for them uh, based on this story, which comes to us from Arizona's East Valley Tribune. Headline, Walmart, Mesa man get chummy over his invention. From the story, a fishing lure of sorts made by a Mesa fisherman will soon hit the shelves of Walmart after clearing a hurdle in the retail giant's search for products made by American small business owners. Chum pods, water-soluble <laughs> pods of chum that can be used during fishing, was created by Pierce Outdoors, a company formed by fisheries biologist and Mesa native Grant Pierce. The pods are similar to laundry detergent pods and are useful for fishermen looking to save time. I assume by that they mean like not having to wait so long for a fish to eat their bait, as is customary in fishing. Like the patient's... We got it. We got We got We got to pare down on the patients. Is what yeah. we're saying here. But anyway, um, Pierce was one of 175 businesses that made it from a screening process involving 800 small businesses from across the country that pitched their U.S. manufactured products during very quick 30-minute one-on-one meetings with Walmart and Sam's Club execs during their first ever uh, virtual open call for for product for for businesses. Hmm. And uh, apparently this is part of uh, something that Walmart launched in 2013 as a commitment to help boost job creation and U.S. manufacturing through buying an additional $250 billion in products supporting American jobs by 2023, right? So right off the bat, I have to say, if Walmart is really holding to this initiative, right, that that's awesome, right? Cool. More more American manufacturing. Love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And also I have to con- you know congratulate Grant for getting selected, considering the story says the most popular categories of products pitched during all these sessions were food, health and wellness, and personal care. So he got in with a fishing tackle, essentially. Um, and I looked up this chum pod, and it is clearly modeled after the Tide Pod, which is clever, <laughs> clearly, right? But what's most clever to me is unlike um, a chum product that you you broadcast, you uh-huh. actually you you bait your hook and then you add a chum pod to the end of your hook because it's light and small, and then you cast your bait out there, and now the chum is going to dissolve mm-hmm. right around your bait wherever it mm-hmm. lands. And I'm not knocking the design at all, right? But every time I see something like this, I wonder. Like, will this be the chum product that produces a, a, a shift in the consumption of such things? Because Lord knows I've seen them all and I've gotten samples of them all over the years and I've used most of them. And no matter how much I've wanted to believe, I, I just have not found anything like this that offers a very noticeable advantage. And like I, I remember like in saltwater, you had chum aerosol sprays and there was the bait bomb you'd send out mm-hmm. on the line. It would like explode mm-hmm. yeah. mid depth, you know, um, and none of it ever seemed to work as well or, or better than just regular old ground up bunker or mackerel chum. So I don't really see any prepackaged synthetics or 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 these natural premixed chums really interrupting the natural chum market in saltwater. But then in in freshwater, I'm curious if you agree. Like I just feel like the average dude who fishes freshwater 
doesn't incorporate chum or think about chumming that much. Other than he, carp and catfish. Anyways. Exactly. Exactly. So and that's 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 one of the things I'm thinking about here. It's like even if you I don't know, like sit in a lawn chair for stock trout, how many of that dude are, are you flipping on to chum? And what you said about cats and carp is true. That's where I see this stuff falter. Like yeah. it's always marketed to all types of anglers. Yet the only guys who I think would really latch on are carp and cat guys. So if you called yep. it, you know, catfish pods or carp pods, maybe. But you've got a bluegill on the bag. And if you need to chum to catch bluegills, like <laughs> try golf, you know, figure skating. I don't know. So I look, I wish Grant the best, right? I really do. Good on you. But like, has the consumer research really shown that that these things tear it up? Like, are we itching for more easy chum options for freshwater? I mean, here's what I'd say. There, I think there are enough hardcore catfishing folks in this yeah. country to make a product like this work. But I, if it were me, and it's not, and maybe he knows something about market research, I don't because I haven't dug into it, and that's not my area of expertise. But I, I would be focusing it on that more niche demographic and not trying to go broad. That's well, that's what that's what my gut would tell me to do. But again, I'm not a marketer. So what the hell do I know? Yeah, no, no, and neither am I, but just just looking at the website like you, you see the baits that these pods are paired with, they're clearly catfish and carp baits. Yeah. Many, many episodes ago we talked about that that self-baiting hook. Yep. thing with the corn that slid yeah. down. You're talking about that like this is useful to everyone, yet you watch the videos, it's all Pay Lake catfish. So I, I, I appreciate the, sort of the innovation and the thought that goes into some of this stuff. But I mean, at the same time, man, like it, it's all designed for sitting on a piece of bait for a long time for a fish that is mostly feeding by smell. And, you know, I, I go buy a half dozen shrimp if I want to go catch catfish. They work just fine. Like, I don't yeah. need to chum for them. They they just eat that. So, um, again, best of luck, man. I just, over the years, it's been a lot of them. I just have not seen any of these, like, dude, you're not going to believe this product, this bait bomb, this chum bomb, this, this, that. Like, they all come and go. I'd say Grant's already won because he got into to Walmart and well, Sam's he's, he's going to so make like, some money. He's, he's going to buy. He's, he's done gonna, what he had to do. We'll just see if it was a good, good gamble on their part, right? Yes, exactly. And I like that's the kind of thing I like to see in terms of someone being innovative and interesting in their attempt to make a living or make some money off of the outdoor community. But the story that I'm about to drop is the exact opposite. Okay. So I've got a story about someone who I can only describe as as a despicable human, uh, Ooh. A, a narcissist. Ooh, I like it. A complete narcissist asshat who considers his own <laughs> social media feed and personal ego trip the most valuable commodity on the planet. Lance V? <laughs> Even worse than Lance, man. <laughs> I know, it's amazing. Uh, I got to say, I'm not sure I should cover this story for a few Ooh. reasons. Oh, I'm getting more excited. Just keep, keep talking. Yeah. I mean, the first reason is because this has been covered. It's got pretty decent play around outdoor media already, so it might be old news for some of our listeners. Um, second, because this, this walking skid mark has <laughs> just a vacuous soul that seems like it can only be filled with, with public attention. And I'm worried that I'm by talking about him further, I'm only giving him what he wants. And, and third, I'm just generally wary of the culture of outrage that we seem to be embracing, right? Like we, we're defining ourselves by images and actions that we condemn publicly, and I don't want to feed into any of those three things. But all that said, I, I do condemn what this person is doing. And and my goal is not so much to inspire your outrage as to just get the word out about this so that no one supports this person's business. What are we talking? I was like, I feel like I'll I should there. know what you're what you're talking about. And I told him like, what, what? I'm just killing say, like, smalls. We all have we have power in our wallets, not in like our keyboard cancellation desires. So so that's how we should do it. Okay. okay. So David Lesh is a former professional skier whose new goal in life seems to be winning gold as an internet troll since he failed at skiing. Last July, Lesh started building his personal brand as a desecrator of public lands and waters when he was caught ripping a snowmobile around a designated wilderness area in Colorado. And, and let me reiterate, it was July. There was no snow. Oh, okay. So he was just tearing up a protected, literally and tearing it up. When you literally say tearing, tearing yeah, up, yeah, tearing it up, a protected yeah. and sensitive tundra ecosystem for kicks, and and he got caught by the executive director of the foundation that looks after that area. Uh, got fined five hundred dollars in order to perform fifty hours of community service. 
After that, he rode a dirt bike on protected grasslands, drove his snowmobile around a private ski resort while it was closed, and, quote, accidentally crashed his brand new plane in California's Half Moon Bay. And I, I say accidentally in air quotes because investigators are still looking into the suspicious circumstances surrounding the crash because Lesh just happened to be in a position to skip his plane across the surface and come to a stop lightly and easily completely unharmed after the plane lost power. And he also just happened to have cameras set up to capture the whole thing and its aftermath perfectly to create a viral video showing how badass he is before sinking a mass of jet fuel, oil, and other contaminants into the ocean. Holy and then shit. starting in June, he really, really embraced his image as a self-interested outdoor influencer. He's the guy that the, the Instagram accounts Turons of Yellowstone and Instarect were made for. And you should check those out. Because, like, seriously, this is, it's him. So first, he posted a photo of himself walking and swimming in an area that's closed to protect sensitive habitat and archaeological sites. That incident earned him five federal citations. Then, this October, he posted another picture of himself taking a dump in the iconic Maroon Lake near Aspen. So the background paints this stunning picture of a high mountain fall landscape with like soaring snow skiff peaks and aspen groves glowing orange and yellow in fall colors and this crystal clear prismatic lake. And then the whole thing is ruined by Lesh butt naked hanging onto a deadfall tree and dropping a deuce right in the water. And the, the symbolism there is just too on the nose, man. You, you can't make that up. Now, I've got to say Lesh and, and many of his fans and supporters are claiming that everyone's just getting trolled and worked up over a joke. The photo was doctored and none of it actually happened. And fans? He like, has fans. Like, there are people who actually are in, like, thousands support, of them. Su that support yeah. this, that think this yes. is all cool. Yeah. Okay. And, and I got to say, I, it doesn't matter whether it was Photoshopped or not. Like, the guy has built in this image of coolness around disrespecting our waterways and the impact of how those photos will influence the behaviors and attitudes of the millions of people who've seen them is a whole lot more detrimental than a single turd in a lake. Last week, a judge barred Lesh from all federal public lands. That's every federally controlled public land, millions and millions of acres of public land across the country for at least the duration of the federal court case against him. And I think that's a start, but I really hope that ban extends for the rest of his life. You and I don't have any control over that sentencing. Like, we, we, we can't decide what the judge is going to do or how he's going to get sentenced or anything. But here's what we can control. Lesh, somewhat ironically, owns an outdoor clothing brand called no. Vertica. Yes. So I would like all of us to just make sure that we and anyone who we can convince never gives that brand a single dollar. Let me say it again. Vertica with a K. And is it, is it made for super sporty people? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it wouldn't fit me anyway. So <laughs> screw you, Lash. Go ahead. There's, there's <laughs> also a citizen-led petition circulating right now to revoke his business license. And I signed it. I mean, dude, I even donated a few bucks to the cause. So if... Uh, the last thing I'll say is if you, if you're one of the people who follows this, this jackass, just, just stop like jerk offs. Like this guy don't deserve the power and influence that they have accrued and they won't go away until we ignore them. So I just hope, I honestly hope he loses his business and I hope that, that people stop paying attention to him and he just disappears. That's what I think that's the best possible outcome. First, I, I don't know how I'm not up on this. I guess I'm just not really paying enough attention, uh, to the, to the news here, but I got to say we in the outdoors, like there've been so many things like fish pictures and so many different things that, that we've latched onto and like sort of berated guys. So to have somebody particularly go for the throat like that, I didn't, I never, I never thought I would, I would see such a thing. Like no. that you are, there's no such thing as bad press, which is obviously what's going on here. So even like when we've in our industry had people ripping on dudes about holding a fish that was pulled off a red or whatever, it, comes and it goes and there's arguments on both sides but to see somebody just embrace being an outdoor jackass to this level um I don't know man I don't know. What, it's what do you do with what do you do with that guy you know uh, like like I said I hope that you you the only way you can kick him in in the stones is by hurting his bottom line right like I'm again I, I fear that I'm feeding into exactly what he wants because I'm giving him more attention which he clearly craves 
but I'm doing it not because I want people to get outraged. I'm doing it because like, I want to see his businesses fail and I'd like to see him broke. Well, I agree with that. I'd also like to see him come out and do a tuna charter with the Brooklyn V out of, uh, out of Brooklyn, New York and act like a jerk off on that trip, 80 miles off with them boys. Well, we certainly don't support Lesh. We don't want you to support Lesh, but um, we do support fishing guide Hillary Hutchison, who's very awesome and a steward of the outdoors. She's and the as, opposite as, of Lesh. Yes, exactly. And as soon as uh, as soon as Phil weighs in to decide who who wins the 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 whole kit and caboodle here this week, we're going to kick it over to a tackle hack for the ages from our friend Hillary. It's going to make you a little uncomfortable, but you're going to go. Damn, that was that was one of the smartest things I heard all week. For his story of the fish who looked around at 2020 for mere seconds before he had seen enough, and for introducing the nation's youth to, I'm sure what will be known as the Chum Pod Challenge, Joe Cermelli is the winner this week. <laughs> Back to the Future Part 2 got a lot wrong about the year 2020. There were definitely not enough pod products. Not enough dishwasher pods, Tide pods, chum pods. But I'd say the most egregious lack of foresight was that Marty McFly had the chance to go see Jaws 19 in a real-life movie theater, full of people, rather than as a drop on HBO Max plus Prime. Bring on the vaccine so I can drown myself in butter-flavored topping. I'm getting hacked! It's coming from inside the city. Hide the planet! Joining us today for the Tackle Hacks is uh, our good friend, Hillary Hutchison, who's a, a good friend of the show and, and a friend of mine. Uh, it's great to see you. How are you, Hillary? Hey, what's up? Most people probably don't know this, but uh, the first time Hillary and I actually hung out was years ago when uh, we were both at the same lodge in Alaska and due to weather, got completely socked in and were unable to to leave that lodge for, I think, like four days. So we mm -hmm. just... We just fished the local uh, river as much as we could and and raided the liquor cabinet at the lodge every single day until it was time to go home. Yeah, it was not terrible. And we were highly successful at both of those things in the pouring rain, oh, God. pouring, pouring rain, which is why, you know, as you mentioned, we couldn't leave the lodge to go out to the surrounding fisheries. Um, but it was awesome. I was like, they need to put that program on the brochure because we had a ball. <laughs> it was so much fun. It really was. And it was like there was a weather window when we could fly in and like we couldn't fly again until it was our day to fly out. It was yeah. just we were just stuck there on the island with tons yeah. of liquor and <laughs> rainbow trout and silver salmon. So it was it was yeah. not bad. I was, I was, was stranded awesome. once due to weather like that. Only it was uh, somewhere where there was nowhere to walk to fish and all the dudes I was with did not drink. So that wow. sounds like a good time you guys had wow. that one time. That sounds like maybe you were actually on the television show Lost in some yeah. sort of purgatory. Anacostia yeah. Island, Quebec. Anyway, this is not my segment. You keep going. <laughs> <laughs> we we did we did have, have good times on that one and, and I remember it fondly. But we didn't actually bring you here to reminisce about uh, Alaska fishing. We brought yeah. you here to lay a tackle hack on us. So what do you got? Yes. Well, I, you know, we have a prime dry fly season here uh, in Northwest Montana. I'm on the middle fork and the North fork of the flathead. And people are coming here for, you know, world-class dry fly fishing, which means you have to keep the fly dry. And all the regular hacks um, are the ones that, you know, I have done forever and ever. Like uh, everybody kind of uses that chamois on the inside of their shirt, but I fish the whitewater stretch, and so I'm in and out of the water all the time. Um, and uh, and then people use, like, their chamois for their sunglasses all the time. But, again, like, put that in my pocket. I'm just soaking wet all the time, so those get wet. An Amadou patch is, like, $30, <laughs> and once those things get wet, they stay wet. So I uh, found something I think is pretty unorthodox. I haven't seen anybody else do it, and it works super good, and I suggest other people to try it. I started cutting into squares sanitary napkins, like maxi pads or <laughs> panty liners, um, the thin ones, <laughs> the thin ones, and you can get them cheap and you can go to Costco. Miles, why don't you go to Costco and you buy like the jumbo pack of the thin panty liners or maxi pads, and then you cut them into squares and you don't need to get the brand name ones. You just get the cheapo, you know, Fred Meyer ones or whatever. And, um, and the reason I cut them into squares is so that they don't look like what they are. 
so you don't have like wings. (laughs) 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 And um, so that, you know, a client doesn't look back and and see me like, you know, squeezing the fly with a maxi pad and then they, you know, take it back and like put it in their mouth or something, you know. So, um, so yeah, I cut them into squares or circles or something so that you can't tell or rectangles or something so that it, it doesn't look like what it is and so that it can sm- be small and just in your hand. And um, I have done a couple things. One, I have um, double stick taped them into the inside of my Yeti Go box. So like my big waterproof tackle box and um so that i can just like push the fly up against it Mm -hmm. um and then i've also had them in stacks like i can have a whole stack of them um for the whole season and you can reuse them because they just absorb and you just kind of keep keep them in there and keep reusing them and so um you just squeeze it on there and it just takes the the water right out so and if they get wet it's crazy so i don't know if you guys know the science behind a maxi pad but they, if they get wet, all the moisture goes to like to the bottom. And so the top layer of them still stays dry. And that's the whole point. Like, that's why you see in the commercials, they're like, keep you dry all day. So it keeps your fly <laughs> dry all day. Um, and so, so unlike the other things like an Amadou patch or, or your chamois or whatever, um, those, once they get wet, they're wet. Once this gets wet, like if you keep it in your pocket and you jump it around, like the bottom of it it stays, gets like heavy and kind of stays wet, but the top still works. So you still, you get to continue to use it. So it's, it's a good one. I know it sounds weird and I can't wait to like fish with some of my buddies in Southwest Montana who are just like a man's man (laughs) and they go buy all the, you know, maxi plus. As as unconventional, as weird as you may think that is, it is the best tackle hack we have had yet by far. By nice. far, far and away. Winner. Yep. <laughs> nice. No doubt. Yay. And and I uh, I cannot wait to see uh, the the jump in sales for generic right. maxi pads as soon as this particular episode airs. Hashtag so. not sponsored. Hashtag not an ad. <laughs> I, do, if, I do not uh, have a paid partnership. <laughs> if, if if any of those companies do want to uh, get on with with supporting this podcast, we are welcome to uh, entertain some offers. <laughs> Always looking for advertisers. Absolutely, that would be amazing if you guys had this podcast sponsored by like I, Stay Free. Or whatever. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, I think we're going to just call that a life goal and say uh, thank you so much, Hillary, for coming on again and for dropping that nugget of wisdom on us. Anytime. That's what I'm here for, brother. That's a good one. All right. So right after we recorded that, I uh, I actually raided the, the bathroom cabinet nah. and stuck a couple of panty liners <laughs> in my fly fishing kit. I, I haven't... I haven't had a chance to use them yet because, you know, it's cold, but I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it and, and like actually trying that out when dry fly season comes back around. You know what? I'll admit it. I did the same thing. Like Hil- yeah. Hillary brought the freaking fire with that tackle hack. She, she just did. put everyone else past and present tackle hackers on notice. <laughs> and though we didn't actually do anything, if you think about it, other than make stupid comments throughout the whole thing, I'm proud <laughs> that we beautiful. offered up some legit useful knowledge this week. And yeah. uh, while we're almost out of time, we do have one more tidbit for you guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's time for end of the line. But this week, we're going to change things up just just a little bit. Yeah, it's it's kind of like point counterpoint, perhaps crossfire. Miles is actually going to take the lead on a rig that truly rocked the world of fishing. And I'm going to jump in right after him for a minute or two and tell you why the whole thing is bullshit. Fishy, 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 fishy. Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. Technically speaking, the Alabama rig shouldn't fit this segment because it isn't a lure, bait, or fly, but we're making an exception on this one. The A-Rig is a spider web of spoke-like aluminum arms that radiate out from a central jig head and are tipped with five or more separate lures, usually soft plastic swim baits. Those aluminum arms can also feature spinner blades in the middle of them, and the resulting morass of conglomerated fish attractors essentially allows anglers to cast and retrieve an entire school of simulated bait fish. Supposedly, and not surprisingly, they can be quite effective. I say supposedly because I myself have never fished an A-Rig, but their impact is hard to dispute. 
The Alabama rig was invented by a guy named Andy Poss, who claims he came up with the idea while watching tuna chase sardines on the Blue Planet documentary series. That makes for a good story, but I find it a little suspect for reasons that Joe will cover in just a minute. Whatever his inspiration, Poss built a prototype of the rig in his garage in Muscle Shoals, Alabama in July 2011. In October of that same year, professional bass angler Paul Elias had one of Poss's prototypes in the boat with him while competing in an FLW event on Lake Guntersville. Elias wasn't doing so hot at the outset. In fact, he hadn't boated a single fish when he decided to try out Poss's rig. And then he caught 15 pounds of fish in four casts. After that, he returned to the spots where he'd blanked earlier in the day and landed 20 more fish. Elias won the tournament, and the A-Rig became the biggest controversy in bass fishing overnight. Within a year of its invention, it was banned from BASS tournaments, and within three years, it became illegal in all major bass tournament circuits. Fishing one, in or out of competition, is now against the law in eight states. Suffice to say, lots of people got real mad at this rig real quick. Much of the A-Rig hate out there gets cloaked in seemingly rational conservation arguments. Some call A-Rigs problematic because anglers often catch multiple fish at once, but that doesn't hold up to basic scrutiny. The vast majority of bass anglers are releasing their catches, and even if they are keeping dinner, the bag limit doesn't change just because they're catching multiple fish at once. Another dig in the interest of fish welfare stems from claims that fish often get foul-hooked by A-Rigs, but no one offers any evidence that foul-hooked fish suffer a higher mortality rate on release. In fact, I'd argue that a wound in the flank or the back is far less detrimental than a hook deep in the mouth back near the gills, so that one doesn't work for me either. Finally, many states ban these rigs by claiming that they have too many hooks, but those same states have no issue with anglers throwing lures tipped with three separate trebles for a total of nine barbed hook points, and if I have my math right, that's four more than on a standard A-rig. Let's just stop with the holier-than-thou conservation cloak and call this what it is. People hate A-rigs because they're seen as too effective, which makes them feel like cheating. Anglers are competitive, so even though fishing isn't baseball, A-rig catches get snubbed like the Barry Bonds home run record. Ultimately, A-rigs are like anchored putters, adhesive football gloves, and laser speedos. People refuse to use them not because they don't work, but because they think doing so diminishes the sport of fishing, and they view anglers who do use them as morally deficient. But if we can set aside that subjective sense of superiority, I think we'll all recognize that we got to give Andy Poss credit. Whether we choose to fish A-rigs or not, whether we hate him or not, his invention has had a bigger impact on fishing than anything else in at least a generation. See, I give Andy Poss zero credit, because as far as me and every other striperman from Maine to Delaware is concerned, the A-Rig has existed since the 1950s, or 60s, maybe earlier. We're not 100% sure, okay? But we are sure they were called umbrella rigs, and I'm very sure I hate salty umbrella rigs as much as I hate freshwater A-Rigs. According to my research, legend has it a skipper in Montauk, New York, got the idea for the umbrella rig after watching a skipper in Nova Scotia pull strips of beer cans on a metal bar. That was likely for tuna, though, not stripers. So, is this all bullshit? Perhaps. But regardless, salty umbrella rigs have a wingspan of up to four feet and can feature a dozen or more rubber shads, surgical tube teasers, or light metal spoons. They were traditionally slow-trolled on wireline, both to help get them deeper and to stand up to the resistance they create, especially after a big cow bass latches on. These days, guys pull umbrella rigs on heavy braid and somehow use that to claim it's more sporting than the wire days. I frankly... Don't care what you pull an umbrella rig on, I find it boring as hell. Note, I did not say it's ineffective because much like the A-Rig, it catches a mess of fish. I also did not say there's no art to slow trolling stripers because there is. You can't simply heave an umbrella rig overboard and kick back with a beer. You have to know how to adjust the trolling speed based on the current, how to get the rig to the proper depth, and where to actually pull the thing. But once you figure all that out, then you can just sit back with a beer and wait while the boat dribbles along at an obnoxious two miles per hour. I'm sorry, but my addiction to stripers comes from the hit. I love seeing one boil on a popper. I love when my live bunker gets nervous and you know he's about to get tail-thumped and inhaled. <laughs> 
I love the dead stop when I'm reeling a shad around the tip of a jetty. Slow trolling umbrellas robs you of all that good stuff. You just wait for the broomstick to bend in half, grab the rod, and steadily reel in the 300 feet of wire or braid behind the boat. It's no fun if you ask me, and in my opinion, serves only as a means to get bass in the box, not as a means to enjoy all the sporting qualities they offer. Andy Poss just stole a classic Northeast rig, shrunk it down to a barely castable size, and called it a bass bait, inadvertently creating the only umbrella rig that cannot be fished effectively while drinking a Budweiser or Narragansett. Well, that's all we have for you this week. For those of you looking to run this down on the AP wire, I have a problem with the Java itch. Gross. Hefe is the answer to life's ultimate question, like an Insta-filter version of the number 42, and Hillary Hutchison knows how to give your dry flies wings. <laughs> if you enjoyed any of that, help us spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your local tackle shop, give us some stars. And if you're feeling inspired, maybe drop us a line. Send those emails to bent at themediator.com. Unless, of course, you fish Alabama rigs, in which case, just send it to Miles because I don't really want to hear from you. <laughs> Until next week, we're hoping you can find some water that's uh, either thawed enough to reel through or frozen enough to walk on. And if not, maybe just catch up on back episodes of the show. And when you run out of those, look up Fishing with John on YouTube. You'll thank me later. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, Enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.